Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. One bad tenant. That's all it takes to completely disrupt your HMO property business. I know that that sounds dramatic, but I've seen this happen before. One difficult tenant who's not paying their rent. One tenant who's upsetting other housemates. One tenant who's causing you a lot of stress and a lot of problems. That can be all it takes to put your business on the rocks. How do you avoid this? Well, today I'm going to highlight the five red flags that I'm always looking out for and always reminding my team to make sure we're looking out for when it comes to vetting tenants. This is a key area of tenant management. This is a key area of protecting and insulating your business from one of the biggest risks, bad tenants. In today's episode, I'm going to share these five things that'll help you avoid these bad tenants. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of the HMO Podcast. guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Okay, welcome back. So today we're going to talk about these five things that I'm always looking out for, that I'm always reminding my team to be looking out for when it comes to vetting tenants. The red flags, these are the alarm bells that we need to sound. If we see these... We really ought to be asking more questions or ultimately rejecting applications from prospective tenants. It's really important. Now, it's quite difficult to put into context just how important this is. Until you've seen the damage that a bad tenant can do, it can be difficult to really understand why this is as important as it is. One bad tenant can cause such a problem, it can cause other tenants in the house to leave. That can cause a huge black hole in terms of rental income. One bad tenant can give you an endless stream of work that you've got to deal with, a huge headache, complaints to deal with. It really can be very, very time consuming and quite stressful indeed. One bad tenant is all it needs to damage your reputation. In today's episode, I'm going to share these five things, these five red flags, these five alarm bells that once you can identify, once you're trained to spot, you'll almost certainly shore up your business. You'll massively 
reduce the risk of these bad tenants, these rotten eggs, <laughs> slipping through and getting into your rooms. Now, this isn't an exact science and it's not a silver bullet, so you've still got to have your wits about it. And the truth is, serial offenders, professionally naughty tenants, let's say, pretty good at pulling the wool over our eyes. We've got to make sure that we are vigilant. So today, these five things will at least give you a very good foundation of, sort of what to be looking out for. Let's get straight into it. Now, the first one is a little bit controversial. This is something that I've spoken about on the podcast before. It's something that I've spoken about in the community on a number of occasions before. And actually, I've found that there's been a bit of resistance to it. It is my opinion, and this is based on my experience firsthand, that you're much better off having a guarantor for every one of your tenants. Now, I'm talking about students and professional tenants. The word professional, I use loosely. There's a broad spectrum of professional tenants. And in the most case, our professional tenants, our student tenants, only a year older. They haven't really accrued much more life experience. And yes, some might be older, but where do you draw the line? And as a business, it's best just to have a policy so that you and your potential customers and your team all know where they stand. For me, having a guarantor is just one of these non-negotiables. Every single one of our tenant, no matter age, no matter gender, no matter country of origin, they are required to have a UK-based guarantor. It's really, 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 really simple. Now, I understand why some people think that this is unnecessary. If someone is 30 years old and they're earning 150000 in the city, do they really need a guarantor? Well, in all likelihood, probably not. But the point of having a guarantor is to manage the unlikely scenario in which you have a problem, in which maybe that tenant loses their job or has an issue in their personal life or for some reason falls out with you and is unreasonable. And these things do happen. It's very difficult from a spare room application, from a few messages in a short meeting or viewing in a house to really get a good judge of somebody's character. Yes, we've got to go with good instinct. Yes, there are a few questions that we can ask to try and pull out what we can from tenants and help make us feel as comfortable as possible. But it's like an interview for a staff member. You never really know what you're going to get. It takes time to figure that out until it eventually washes through. And honestly, it's sad to say, but not everybody is as they appear. Not everybody is, is as they would like you to think they are. So for me, having guarantors is just one of those ways that we can insulate ourselves from having these scenarios where tenants are actually not who they were portraying themselves to be, or their circumstances do change quite dramatically and they want to just up and leave, which is an inherent risk to your business. Imagine everybody could do that. COVID is a superb example. I think without the guarantors that we have across our portfolio, a lot of our tenants would have just up and left our HMOs, including our student tenants, because they didn't necessarily realise the implications. And having that guarantor and recognising that there is also an implication on their guarantor, often their parents or family member, is quite valuable and useful to have. It stops people and makes them really think and consider what's the outcome what the washout of of not following the rules and the guidelines could be, not paying their rent. So for me, having a guarantor is an absolute non-negotiable. And for me, a red flag is a tenant who cannot get a guarantor, a tenant who cannot get a UK-based guarantor. My first question is, why not? Is it because you're not trustworthy? Do you not have a family member who 
trust you enough to put their name to your tenancy agreement. That in itself speaks volumes. And we've had this several times and almost always where tenants have rejected or pushed back. It has been because, and they've admitted this, they've had some issues in the past. They've not paid their rent or they've got some credit issues. They've fallen out with family or siblings, whatever it might be. These are red flags. Now, I'm not saying you have to make a decision based entirely on this. It doesn't have to be binary. It's not a yes or no. But what I'm saying is it is a red flag. It's it's an alarm bell. And it's for you to decide what you ultimately do with it. But on the most part, and certainly from my own experience, if someone is unable to get a UK-based guarantor, there's usually a good reason for that. Now, there are occasions where you may be taking an inquiry from a tenant who isn't sort of a British citizen, and they might actually find it difficult to have a UK-based guarantor. You can make your own judgment on that. Of course, they've got to still pass the right to rent checks. And there are actually some guarantor services out there. I think Helping Hand or Housing Hand is one of them that can actually offer guarantor services to overseas tenants. And they do a lot in the student market as well. So there are still options there if you want to, if you want to use it. So for me, somebody who hasn't got a guarantor or isn't prepared to put forward a name for a guarantor or isn't able to provide a valid guarantor, you know, a friend, it probably isn't the right person. Really, it generally needs to be an immediate family member, a sibling, or a parent. And you may want to choose whether or not you actually credit check them as well. But for me, that's the first red flag. The second one then, the second alarm bell, the second red flag, is tenants who want or ask or request you to waiver their deposit because the deposit plus the rent is expensive. Now, I get it. For some tenants, paying the first month's rent and paying a deposit, and our deposit is is £250, that might be quite a lot of money to stomach. But, and you've got to take a position on this, and I want to be careful how I word this, but I think for somebody not to have that £250 or not to have the ability to access that £250 is a difficult one for me to swallow. Our rooms are not cheap. Our rooms are upwards of £400 per calendar month. We let very nice accommodation. It's a high standard. And what I would expect is that tenants are able to afford that. They have got the finances at hand to be able to get them into that accommodation in the first place, not least to be able to continue paying for it. So for me, this is a relatively important point, and actually I would consider it a red flag, a real alarm bell. It would be an absolute no. Everybody, all of our tenants, have to pay a deposit. It's a non-negotiable, it's really, really important, and it's really only our sort of way of recovering any rent that's unpaid at the end of a tenancy or recovering any costs for damages that a tenant might make. So it's really, really important. But I think it speaks volumes if somebody can't actually muster together that £250 deposit or whatever it may be. So my advice to you is stick to it. Have a deposit policy. Again, this is can be quite a contentious issue. This is something we've discussed in the community before. And a lot of people in our community have said they don't see the point in having deposits. If a tenant earns a good salary and you know they're a professional, why do they need it? Well, it's a deterrent on the large part. It's it's really important. For me, it demonstrates a degree of affordability. It's certainly a deterrent to make sure you do pay your rent, to make sure that you do hand things back the way that you receive them. I still think it's really, really important. I think it's actually imperative. <laughs> I think we would find our job as a manager much, much, much more difficult if our tenants didn't have to give us deposits. So for me, that's the second red flag. If they ask you to waiver their deposit, unfortunately, it's almost definitely going to be a no from us. 
The third thing is tenants who ask you to delay their rent, that first month's rent. Again, similar to the previous point, it's an affordability thing. I get that. But it's unrealistic to think that somebody can move into a property without paying for it. It's like going to the shop, buying a nice new pair of jeans and asking the attendant at the till if you can come back and pay for it later. It's just not realistic. It's an absolute no. For us, you need to be able to demonstrate that affordability. You need to pay before we actually give you the keys and you need to do it all on time. If they're asking for us to delay rent before they've even moved in, what's going to happen at month two, a month three, a month four, a month five? I might be wrong. And again, I'm conscious that everybody's circumstance is difficult and some people do go through some tougher times, but we rent expensive rooms. We are you know, offering a higher end product and that is more suited and better suited to people on a better budget. That's just the reality of it. And I'm not afraid of saying that. So for me, anyone who asks to defer their rent or delay it, it's an absolute no. The third red flag, the third alarm bell is tenants who need to move immediately. This I have learned the hard way more than once. And I've become quite resistant to anybody who wants to move in quickly. Moving into a house is a big decision. It's a contract. It's a tenancy agreement for a minimum amount of time, usually six months. So there's a a big commitment from a time point of view. There's a big commitment from a financial point of view. There's a big commitment in that they're moving in with a lot of people that they won't know. And that's a big commitment from us as well. Now, I think this is important for a couple of reasons. First of all, anyone making such a big decision in a rush, I think is naturally quite concerning. Have they really stopped and given this time? Have they really, really thought about it? And secondly, why do they need to move in such a rush in the first place? Has something happened? Have they been booted out of their house or wherever they're living currently? You know, is there a reason they're having to find accommodation very, very quickly? It might be reasonable. It might be that they've landed a great job or they're contracting and they need to start a new job at very short notice. I think if it's like two days, that's extremely short notice. And you can take a position on this. You can ask for validation of this. Can you see a contract of employment, an agreement, something to support that? But where we've had this request, and on the many occasions that we have, it has usually been, when we've got down to it, because of some sort of issue in their current accommodation or some sort of an issue with their relationship. And I just don't think that that bodes well to move into our house. We don't want to be a resort of sort of last resort. We don't want to be an alternative, a default position someone has to fall back on. Yeah, We want to be a choice that people look forward to and have been planning and, and are excited to move into. We want those sorts of tenants. We want to create that sort of environment and atmosphere in our houses. And I think that that's really, really important. So again, it's not a silver bullet. It's not an absolute no, but it's definitely a red flag. And it's one that we would very, very, very strongly consider. And we certainly do ask a lot more questions on it. Number five, then. The fifth red flag, the fifth sort of alarm bell is anybody who's rude or inappropriate or, in fact, just unrealistic when they're inquiring about our properties. You know, sometimes when you get a message through and maybe it's on a Friday evening and you're out, you're out at dinner or you're out with your family and you have got other priorities. Ideally, you'd get back to that straight away. But that tenant who follows up with messages of dozens and dozens and dozens of question marks just to make a point that you're not answering them quickly enough. What does that say about them? Tenants who are unrealistic about making some requests, suggesting I'll give you this for the rent. I know the rent is is 450, but I can pay 400. Does that work? You know, that's unrealistic. That's not how this industry works. 
tenants who are rude, who resist some of the very basic and simple and important questions that you might ask them. So, for example, we ask people how old they are and we ask people what they do for work. And we ask people why they're looking for new accommodation and how long they think they might like to live there. These are important questions. It gives us a flavour for that individual. It helps us understand why they actually want to live there. And it helps draw out some of these things. Is this person the sort of tenant that we want? Do they have the right values? Do they have a degree of professionalism and respect about them. And often on these sorts of portals like Spare Room, you'll find there are tenants who just don't. For me, it's a huge red flag. You've got to be careful. And there's difficulties sometimes with language barriers. And I totally get that. So again, it's it's not an exact science. But the longer you do this, the better you get at seeing clues. And when you see these clues, the key thing is to ask more questions. The key thing is to prompt them a little bit more. See if anything else comes out of them that, that concerns you and then draw the line. But it's really important. So for me, the fifth point, the fifth red flag, the fifth real alarm bell is tenants who are either rude, inappropriate, or just downright unrealistic when it comes to inquiring about your properties or your rooms. So there we go. Five things, five reasons, five sort of types of tenants to keep an eye out for. For me, these are red flags. And on the most part, it would be a no, unfortunately. They wouldn't be able to live in our accommodation. Now, the good news is we get a lot of inquiries and we do have the luxury of being able to pick and choose who live in our houses. Now, I don't feel guilty about that. I appreciate entirely and recognise that there is a difficulty in finding good quality and affordable accommodation, but we're a business and it's incredibly important. And because of the nature of the types of products that we create and then have to manage people living in fairly small spaces together, sharing their lives, it's really, really important that we get this right. And also, not just for our own business, we have a responsibility for our other tenants in that house. We're safeguarding them. We've got to make sure, and when they moved in, we made certain assurances and promises that they would be able to live with like-minded people, people who had similar values and were respectable and, and professional wouldn't sort of behave inappropriately. It's important. We are there to safeguard them. So we have to guard that gate. We have to be the gatekeeper. And keeping an eye out for these sorts of red flags is really, really important. So there we go. There are more things to keep an eye out for, but those for me are the most important. Keep an eye out for them. If you do get them, make sure you either ask some more questions or be honest with yourself and just say thanks, but no thanks. Remain polite. It's really important. We've got our own reputations to uphold and we've got a good example to make. We are good landlords. We want to do it in the right way, but we have to do it in the right way. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope it helps. If you're having any issues with tenants or you're unsure about some of the ways to advertise and fill your rooms and properties, come on over to the HMO community. That's our free group on Facebook. We're over 5,000 strong now. It's a fantastic place to find guidance and support from me and our other members. Of course, if you do want to take things seriously and really level things up, you need to head straight to the hmoroadmap.co.uk. You can find all of the lessons, the masterclasses, the downloadable resources you can actually use in your business. You can find dozens and dozens of fantastic and very inspiring case studies. You've got the deal stacker and so much more. And just a quick favour, before you go, if you've got 30 seconds to leave a really quick review of the show, please, please, please do. Thank you so much to everybody who has left a review. I know we're all busy, but it helps so much. It helps more than you could possibly know. You can leave a review on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts now. You can say something nice if you like, or you can simply just leave a few 
or hopefully five shiny stars for us. But thank you so much to those who have already reviewed us. And if you have got 30 seconds, please, please, please take a few moments just to leave a quick review of the show. That is it for today's episode. Don't forget that I'll be right back here in the very same place next week. So please join me then for another installment of the HMO podcast. (laughs) 